Amen. On the first day of the week, at early dawn, they came to the tomb, bringing the spices which they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And it happened that while they were perplexed about this, behold, two men suddenly stood near them in dazzling apparel. And as the women were terrified and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living one among the dead? He is not here, but he is risen. Remember how he spoke to you while he was still in Galilee, saying that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and the third day rise again? And they remembered his words and returning from the tomb and they reported all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now they were Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James. Also, the other women with them were telling these things to the apostles. And these words appeared to them as nonsense. They would not Believe them. The most shocking thing about the resurrection account is the perplexity of the women and the unbelief of the apostles. In no uncertain terms, they should have expected it. Several months before his death, Jesus had begun explicitly telling his disciples what to expect. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. And he was stating the matter plainly. After the transfiguration, he said it again. For he was teaching his disciples and telling them, The Son of Man is to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And when he has been killed, he will rise. Three days later. And then a week or so before the triumphal entry, he said it again. Behold. We are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and will deliver him to the Gentiles. And they will mock him and spit upon him and scourge him and kill him. And three days later, he will rise again. They should have known what to expect on Easter morning. For our Lord was not into surprises. He was always very careful to spell out what was to be expected. We've been looking at that in the Sermon on the Mount where Christ laid out what we should expect as members of the kingdom 
corporation. What we should and should not expect of him and what he expects of us. He made it very clear that we should not expect things to be easy in life. In fact, he told us we should consider ourselves blessed if we experience poverty, hunger, sadness, and hatred as workers in his kingdom. In other words, he didn't promise us great working conditions on earth. But he did promise us a fully funded retirement program that will last forever. And that benefit will more than make up for anything we might not receive in this life. When he spelled out his expectations of us, they were pretty simple. Love more, do more, give more. Simple, but obviously not easy to meet. He concluded his sermon with a series of three parables, and Luke includes three of them in his account. A parable about a blind man, a parable about a tree, and a parable about a house. Together they illustrate what it will take to meet our Lord's expectations. The need to see clearly, the need to produce appropriately, and the need to act accordingly. Let's take a brief look at those rising expectations this Resurrection Sunday. We're studying in Luke's Gospel, the sixth chapter, ready for verses 39 through 42. And he also spoke a parable to them. A blind man cannot guide a blind man, can he? Will they not both fall into a pit? A pupil is not above his teacher, but everyone, after he has been fully trained, will be like his teacher. And why do you look at the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not see the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, Brother, let me take out the speck that's in your eye, when you yourself do not see the log that is in your own eye, you hypocrite. First, take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take out the speck that's in your brother's eye. Jesus' sense of humor is quite obvious here. No one asks a blind man to guide him. To do so condemns them both to an unseen pit. And obviously Jesus is not a blind guide. He knows where he's going. Those who would be like him must also know where they are going. They must be able to see clearly if they are to avoid the pitfalls of life. And they must see clearly if they are to serve as guides to others. So how do we see clearly? What's the secret to good vision? Jesus said, it's getting the log out of our eye. As I said, his sense of humor is quite obvious here. It's hard to even imagine a picture of someone with a log 
in his eye, let alone someone trying to get out a speck from his brother's eye with a log sticking out of his own. But while that illustration is ridiculous, the point is well made. We can't help anyone get a little something out of their life if something large is looming in ours. And it's amazing how easy it is to overlook a log in our own eye while focusing on the speck in our brothers. The sins of others are always much easier to see than are our own. But if we would effectively guide others to our teacher and, more importantly, our Savior, we've got to deal with the sins in our own life before we can help them deal with theirs. That's what our Lord expects. And to be quite frank, that's what they expect as well. No one is going to take seriously an attempt to help them if it's obvious we are in even greater need of help than are they, but don't know it, or even worse, won't admit it. No one is going to follow a blind guide, nor will they take what we offer if it looks like it comes from a bad tree. That's why our Lord also expects us to produce Appropriately, verses 43 through 45. For there is no good tree which produces bad fruit, nor, on the other hand, a bad tree which produces good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit. For men do not gather figs from thorns, nor do they pick grapes from a briar bush. A good man, out of the good treasure of his heart, brings forth what is good. And the evil man, out of the evil treasure, brings forth what is evil, for his mouth speaks from that which fills his heart. No one expects to find figs on a locust tree. And no one goes to a briar patch to pick apples. By the same token, you don't climb an apple tree to pick cockleburs. You go to a good tree. To find good fruit. And a tree is judged by the fruit it produces. The application for a disciple of Christ is obvious. People are going to examine our fruit before they will accept anything from us. If we want people to believe we have found real life in Christ, they must be able to see good fruit coming from our life. And that fruit is the fruit that His Spirit produces within us. It's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, and things like that. That's what Christ expects people to see coming from our life. If they don't, they have every right to assume we are a bad tree. And that will obviously be confirmed if they see immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, 
enmities, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like that hanging from the branches of our life. No one is going to take what we've been commissioned to offer if it looks like that. You know, I don't buy fruit in the market until I carefully examine it. I look at the strawberries and blueberries on the bottom of the plastic box. I squeeze the plums. I smell the cantaloupes. And I make sure the bananas are green enough to last for a few days. Well, people have every right to look into the bottom of our box to see if there's anything rotten hidden there. They must be allowed to get close enough to us to get some assurance that what's on the inside is as good as it appears on the outside. And they need to see if what we have is going to last. If our heart has been changed by the risen Christ, what we produce and what comes out of our mouth will reflect that change. Our fruit will be obviously sweeter than it was before we met him. Now, it is true that God sees not as man sees God is able to see into a man's heart. We can't do that. We can only look on the outward appearance. And that's why Christ expects us to produce fruit that will appropriately display His character. Fruit that proves us to be grafted to a really good tree. It's not enough. To say we belong to Christ, we must act accordingly. Verses 46 through 9. And why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and acts upon them, I will show you whom he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep. And laid a foundation upon the rock. And when a flood arose, the torrent burst against that house and could not shake it because it had been well built. But the one who has heard and has not acted accordingly is like a man who built a house upon the ground without any foundation. And the torrent burst against it and immediately it collapsed. And the ruin of that house was great. And why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? Certainly that is a question none of us would ever want to have to answer. But as frightening as that is, Luke has abbreviated what our Lord actually said. According to Matthew's account, he said, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? 
and in your name cast out demons, and in your name perform many miracles, and then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Not only must we do what he has told us to do, we must make certain that we are not simply doing what we want to do and merely tacking his name on it. For as we learned last Wednesday night in our study from Malachi, we can actually despise the name of the Lord. We can profane it by doing religious things. Jesus said, even if we prophesy in his name, cast out demons in his name, and perform miracles in his name, we can be ordered to depart from his presence. It therefore goes without saying that even if we go to church and do things that look very religious, we can still hear the words, Depart from me. I never knew you. And we will if we don't actually listen to his words and act upon them. That means it's not enough to simply do what we think he wants us to do or what others tell us he wants us to do. We've got to know what he has said. And we've got to do what he has actually told us to do. If we'll do that, we'll be like a man who dug deep and laid a foundation upon the rock before building his house. If we don't, we'll be building on the sand. It's amazing how many people think of themselves as Christians, as followers of Christ, but have never actually read what he said or what he said through his apostles. How can we call him Lord and not care enough to read his word? How can we call him Lord and not do what he has said? The reason so many fall, find their lives falling apart when hard times come is that they have built their lives on hearsay and suppositions. They've never dug deeply enough into the bedrock of truth to find out what Christ actually said or what he expects of them. Or if they did, they chose not to do it. How could they expect to survive the storms of life, let alone the day of judgment? They won't. Jesus said their house will collapse. When the rains descend and the floods come and the winds blow, the house will fall. No matter how many sandbags they fill with good deeds and religious practices. Obviously, 
That's not what he wants. That's why he has told us what to expect and what he expects of us. And that's why he has told us how to build lives that will stand. Lives that are built on him. How we must accept by faith what he did to make it possible for us to get the sin out of our lives. And then do it. How we must allow his spirit to change us. And to produce good fruit in our life. And how we must act according to all he has revealed in his word. If we will see clearly, produce appropriately, and act accordingly, we will have nothing to worry about when the floods of life or judgment bursts against us. And they will. Both of them. He has told us to expect them. But even death itself will not be able to defeat us. It did not defeat Him. He rose victoriously from the grave and so will we if we'll build our life On the solid rock. The angel rolled back the stone so we could build our life on it. Let's meet our risen Lord's expectations and do just that. Let's stand.